0: first of three podcasts NEC dance producer Kathy Levy speaks to one of her favorite choreographers Flemish Moroccan dance phenomenon Sidi Larbi Cherkawi. Kathy sat down with Larbi last season to get some insight into his life story and hear how he found his way to dance.
1: Well, here we are in November 2009, um, sitting talking with uh, one of my favorite choreographers in the world, Sidi Larbi-Chakawi. And I I, am so privileged to have this time uh, with you. And thank you very, very much for, for coming to be part of this interview. I know you get bombarded with a lot of uh, a lot of interviews as you tour, um, but to have this time with you in this very quiet room to talk about your life is is, is a great great honor, so thank you. Um, we've been bringing your work to the National Art Center uh, since two thousand and three, and of course plan to bring it for many years to come. But I, I'd really like to go back and talk a little bit about how you found your way to dance and how your upbringing and your your history uh, found your way to this art form.
2: Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, the first way I expressed myself as an artist before I even knew what the word art meant was drawing. So I was always a drawer as a kid. And I still think today, even though I'm dancing, I'm moving, I still think I'm a drawer in a way. Like whatever I make, whatever I will put on stage will will be a drawing. Um, the The movement aspect came... Very uh, came only when I was maybe 14, 15, uh, where uh, I saw a friend of mine who, who did the Kate Bush imitation. <laughs> and I was really, really totally um, blown away by her performance. I thought it was so beautiful and it was such a, an amazing uh, way of, of expressing. Uh, yourself
1: was it something she did like in her living room, or that you uh, went to no. a club to see? Or? She
2: she basically kind of did. You know, it was those uh, contests where you you imitate okay. an artist, and she was and she was doing Kate Bush, uh, Wuthering Heights, and and it it really yeah it 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 kind of put a spell on me. And since then, I I got this desire to be you know also uh, uh, working around with that kind of magic, and so I started first uh, maybe because my my uh, world was very much... Uh, it wasn't a very artistic world. I mean, we were a very simple family that was just watching TV and I had to study and things were very um, basic. Uh, so the only culture I got was the culture that co- were com- was coming from TV. Mm-hmm. So a lot of... Um, but all the artists that I was seeing on MTV or something would influence me. So I was really influenced by pop art. And it's only when I was 19 that I... Got into um, uh, understanding that there was a whole other world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the contemporary dance world, and that there was a contemporary field and that there were artists really, you know, uh, trying to express different emotions than just happiness.
1: Did you did you start to do your own version of Kate Bush imitations for the public? Uh, at that age, well,
2: at that age, I I, I did some uh, dancing like Michael Jackson, uh, like uh, Janet, like all these uh, yeah th- these pop icons from that time from the eighties in public. Uh, yes, I mean yeah. with with my friends and okay. like I would I would even organize a whole uh, thing where I'd I'd have uh, people from my class you know coming at my home to to learn. Choreographies that I had learned from TV, <laughs> so I just uh, I, I picked up movement really quickly, and even though I had no training, I would always, you know, see the movement on TV and be like, well, I can do it. It just goes like this and this mm-hmm. and this. So it was like copying. And how did your
1: th- how did your family react to all that? How did you how did your parents what did your uh, parents think of that? Well,
2: I mean, my father wasn't very supportive. I, he 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 didn't think dancing was really uh, a thing to do, um, and. Uh, it's it's only when I was fifteen when my parents divorced that I was able to go really deeper into it because my mom she she loved singing when she was a child and and she she kind of understood that passion. Uh, I think my father in his own way as well i mean he he loved music and uh but but basically both of them never went into their artistic uh expression they they never went really further in it they they kind of chose another life. And, and for my brother and me, I think they wanted the same. They wanted us to to basically find uh, you know become a lawyer or, a, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, a, or someone in mathematics or uh, whatever would be the highest social standard you could get uh, because we were for such a low standard as mm-hmm. we were starting. So basically they, we were all the time trying to aim up, aim up, uh, mm-hmm. go up that ladder. Um, and art wasn't up that ladder for them. But my but my mom did support me when I said that, like, I really want to move and I think I want to, you know, take some dance classes. And so when I was 17, 18, I just, I kind of went for it. It was, I got not support, but at least I got no resistance from her.
1: Because, of course, making that leap, I mean, we all dance in our living rooms, but making that leap to really starting to study is is... Is a big change in direction to some to some degree, yeah.
2: Yes, yes, and also I, I was quite a good student, so so in a way it was like uh, uh, some a lot of people were telling me I was wasting my talents doing this, and I your intellectual and, talents. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. or yeah, they just they would just see that the what I had to acquire in order to get there was too much, and they were like, well, you started too late, and you know you know, you should start much earlier, and all these. Um, Typical cliché things that one says to, uh, you know, uh, kids that are not true, <laughs> and uh, and and that but but that do you know and and then my nature was just one of uh, intuition. I really believed that I needed to do this because I believed my body was the answer for my soul, and 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 that if I didn't go into uh, movement, I, I would uh, I would get really really. Uh, uh, depressed it would it would really bring me down i needed I needed my body to to go to the level of where my mind was and and I felt like I was in a world where people were way too much uh, giving value to the mind and not to the body
1: wow it's it it's incredible to hear you say that because of course even today i think People would say that to their kids, it's too late, you can't really start, you've got some intellectual powers, like, and, and not necessarily making the connection between the intellectual development and the movement development. And of course, that's so much of what's been able to inform the great diversity of work that you do. Yeah, I think
2: it's, it's, it's also important to understand that the, the mind resides in the body. The mind is a response of the body. The body, the more you develop the body, the easier, the more, the more flexible the body is, the more flexible the mind can be. And, and so I, I really believe in that relationship. And, and until now, I, I, I feel everything has proven this to me. So I, I just want to continue on that, on that track.
1: Well, given given you know your age, you're also talking about starting classes when you were 17 at a time when the particularly the Flemish dance scene was already quite quite advanced uh, internationally.
2: It's true, but the funny thing is, like, I wasn't aware of that at all because the, when I was 17, 18, I was doing uh, very uh, you know more like popular forms like jazz dance, classical dance, uh, some tap dance, uh, some. Um, uh, African dance, voguing, all these typical things that you would see on TV, but nothing contemporary. I didn't know there was a contemporary field God. at all. <laughs> um because I wasn't exposed to it. So and, what, was uh,
1: what was the coup de foudre? What was when, the place?
2: When I was nineteen I, I my ballet teacher, she, she kind of um pushed me into doing a contest which was the in nine it was in ninety five, uh, the best Belgian dance solo. And she told me you should you know, make a choreography. You should make a five-minute solo because you have a lot of things to say in your way of moving. And and I was quite shy. I was like, no, I don't know. It, it's not the moment. But then in the end, I did what she said to me. I did it. And I made something... And and that's when um, a lot of doors opened. I, I won that contest, and it it kind of made me meet a lot of incredible choreographers I didn't know existed. So suddenly there was this guy coming to me, and he was like, "Well, you know, uh, really like what you do, and you should keep doing what you're doing." And, and I was like, "Who are you?" And then he was like, "Well, I'm Wim van der Kibbe. I'm a <laughs> famous Flemish choreographer." I'm like, "Oh, I don't know you." <laughs> and same with Alain Platel, who who was there, and who was telling me that uh, you know I had a gift, and and. And I didn't know who he was. Uh, and, and then there were the people from the school of Anne-Theresa de Kirschmaker. Um, uh, it was uh, Theo van Rompay connected to Michel Uiterhoeven, who was used to be the, uh, the manager of Mick Stewart. So lots of connections. And they uh, basically invited me to go to the dance school uh, of Anne-Theresa in Brussels. I did that. And that opened my eyes. So suddenly I realized there were people like Forsythe, there were people like Trisha Brown, uh, uh, Pina Bausch, lots of amazing artists who find a way to to combine their scientific or sociological knowledge with, um, uh, with the body, with dance. And, and I fell in love with that aspect of it, and, and I felt like that's what I want to do.
1: So I mean, you've just mentioned some of the world's you know greatest choreographers and people who were obviously well established by the time you ran into them. Eventually, your studies at P.A.R.T.S. led you to go and become a member of Les Ballets et de la B and work with Alain Platel. Can you talk a bit about that period? Sure. It
2: was '97. Uh, so after being one year in P.A.R.T.S., Alain called me, and he proposed to me to 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 join. A project of his, which was Itzobach, and so I went uh, into that uh, the year after because I was very open to to really be on stage. I mean, I loved being on stage. It it um, I felt like the whole training aspect was to be on stage and to share it with an audience, and uh, and there I I met a lot of amazing dancers. I mean, there was first of all Alain, who was very you know. Um, open-minded, also very... uh, He always gave us room to express ourselves, to find our own voice within his concept. But then there were also people like Lizzie Estaras, like uh, uh, Gabriela uh, Carizod, uh, Daryl E. Woods, uh, people that still now are people I admire and and, um, am connected with. So I started as a dancer first, and in 1999 I did this choreography for a, a musical in England, in Edinburgh, and it went really well. This project kind of uh, gave me a boost and, and kind of made me believe in myself also as a choreographer.
1: Was it a, was it a musical that we would know? Was it a, uh, like a Broadway it, musical? No, it
2: wasn't a Broadway musical. It was on Jack Brell music. Okay. And it was very, very uh, uh, contemporary, so it was quite strange. Um, but at the Fringe Festival over there, we got a lot of success with it, and it it kind of made me believe in my own capacity of... of uh, structuring a, a whole piece. And so I wrote a dossier and I gave it to, to Les Ballets de la Baie and I said, well, I'd be interested in making my own work. And Alain totally uh, believed in that. He, he really uh, supported me and he felt like that would be a really wise thing to do. And so from 2000 on, I created uh, Rien de Rien, which was my first choreography at uh, Les Ballets de la Baie. And there would be four other projects coming after that, like uh, foi uh, um, tempus fugit*, corpus back, zero degrees in co-production with uh, Lebaisse de la baie so uh, in a way that that was my story with les ballise de la Bay was from ninety seven till two thousand and five, I was part of that collective,
1: but tell me about when you first made foi i mean that really i mean part of me rien de rien. Uh, that really, you know, made this whole other piece of the lexicon, you know, the, the sort of the festivals, the producers, the people who, you know, have since become a whole other level of supporters of your work. What what was that like for you? My gosh.
2: It, t- it's, it's interesting because the creation was a, 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 a lot of exploration. I mean, we were trying a lot of things that I always wanted to try. I was very lucky to work with amazing artists like Angelique Wilkie, who had a lot of experience and was very open to follow me all the way into this creation. Um, I was working with Marie-Louise Wildereggs, who was my ballet teacher, actually the one who pushed me into uh, the the contest in '95. So always... Everything's always related uh, in history, uh, you know. Interconnected. Uh, yeah, interconnected. Mm-hmm. It just always stays connected. Mm-hmm. Laura Naskis, who's a young girl, she was at that time 14. Or no, she was, uh, yeah, was she? I think 16, 16. Uh, and uh she was already in the piece of Alain Platel in Itzobach. So basically she she uh I s I knew her since she was eleven and I was mm-hmm. already dancing with her since she was eleven and I found she had such an amazing talent that she should, you know, be in this project. And uh maybe the m- most important person would be um Damien Jalet, who who really uh you know, he came into the project and and brought in the voice, brought in a lot of new elements that that would be defining for me afterwards. They would really change my perception of what I felt uh, we could do with this uh, space we've, we've we've been given to to express ourselves on stage. Like Damien really brought me somewhere else.
1: So I, I want to go back to that for a minute. You you said that with Rien de Rien you got to do things that you've been wanting to do for a long time and that Damien then brought other things can you what are those things? Yes. I mean, so, you know, again, with tracing the arc of where, yeah. where you came from.
2: Well, I was always uh, kind of intrigued by the fact that to say, like, what what is, um, when do we consider something a dance movement? Because I, I, I consider everything a dance movement. I consider everybody dancing all the time. And when I look at people expressing themselves, even uh, just explaining a, a something, I feel like they're dancing there is a real form of of breath of of uh, motion everything is just dance so i wanted to 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 discuss that with the audience i wanted to have things on stage happen in such a way that people would notice that that's actually a choreography even though it's uh, acting or it's uh, um somebody expressing themselves by with with a voice or with uh, you know uh, explaining something uh, with text that, in a way, it was also choreography. So I really, really wanted to do that, um, and it. Uh, so that was one of the things I wanted to develop. And for the rest, yes, the the a certain uh, way of of surreal narration. I was really into how one thing transforms into the next, how from one point we go to the next point. I, I, I many things like the uh, rien de rien was like. Uh, Strange because it was uh, all these personal things that I wanted to put on stage. Like, for instance, the fact that we were in a mosque and that that the aspect of that mosque was very important to me. It was very personal. And it was like that space that I wanted the whole audience to be in. In many ways, for them to discover that it wasn't uh, a dangerous place, but that it was actually something that Mm. could be an open space, uh, an invitation to the ritual. At the same time as in that mosque, I was trying to do things that were supposedly taboo uh like t- uh, two men touching like Damien and me would have a whole duet that would be with a sacred song and would be really really very um uh respectful but at the same time quite erotic and i I liked that ambiguity because I think uh it's it can be uh a sacred thing to, 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 to touch each other. And, and, and so I felt like I need to address these issues, but I was finding ways to, to point them out. Uh, same with the naked body. Angelique at a certain point, she strips off to, to, to be as honest as possible, takes off all the makeup and all the, the fake hair and everything that the whole persona is, is ripped bare. And when you see that person, it's like a beautiful statue. Suddenly it's nothing, nothing, at that point, it's not erotic. It's actually really a human being and, and and everything that that implies within that mosque. So it was a confrontation of... Uh, uh, it was, in a way, a clash of cultures, as much on the level of culture as it was on the level of um, uh, uh, dance culture. Because I, I must say, when I was starting to do contemporary dance, a lot of people looked down on me because I I, I, I had a gift for it, but at the same time, they were like uh, it, when i was in parts i was going to um to in the evening i would work in 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 a, in a discotheque as a go-go dancer and then people would really be like my god that is you know so uh, it's so low to do that, and I'm like, okay. no, I'm dancing, and I'm earning money dancing, and I, I don't see why you are looking down upon that because it's it's what I do, I dance, and in you that think sense any of
1: that's on YouTube? Can uh, we find? No, we find I don't <laughs> think so. There was
2: no YouTube at the time, um, so it it. But it it kind of bugged me that people would look down upon pop art because to to make it, you know, to to kind of judge it and create a whole uh, perception of. Like making it all bad. And, I, and later in life, I even noticed that that was done in, on so many other levels too. But I had a problem with that kind of um, prejudice uh, because there was so much quality for me. And if, even with TV, how horrible it can be, it, it was the thing that made me dance. And and right. so for me it was that door out of of my own reality and and I was very happy and lucky and blessed that that was there because that was the only thing I did have at that time in my life to get me out of something. So I I understand the power of books for some people. I understand the power of the TV or or any other. You know, door that opens you to to the rest of the world, and I'm sitting here talking to you, thanks to TV. So I, I you know, like judging it would be very. Um, yes, I wanted to have a certain quality. I would like it to change on many levels, but I also understand that as a means, as a tool, it can be extremely useful for people to to um, to to see bigger than their own family or bigger than their own, you know, uh, limited space they, they've been given from birth.
1: But it has, it is a very strange debate that still rages on today, this, you know, pop art and pop culture versus high art and high culture. And I think that's something that you've continued to address, uh, not just in that first piece, but in other projects as well.
2: I think so, too. I think it's definitely something that's... Uh, um, that weighs on me because I, I feel like uh, it's uh, it's unfair from both sides, <laughs> and I think there's so much there's so much exchange actually happening underneath that I'm like we should address that and we should talk about that and we should see in how many ways uh, one is inspired by the other all the time, and I, I like to look at it a bit like uh, you know like skin tissue and and what's and the organs within it's it's like one is related to the other and is very necessary. But even when you see someone and you see their skin and they're full of pimples or something or there's something wrong with it, you know that inside there is a problem. And so superficiality and, and depth they're extremely connected so to to make from the word superficial something negative is actually in my eyes silly because the superficial level is very important too and it does show a lot about us and I think pop culture does say a lot about us, not always the things we like and so it's a mirror and if we want to like it more maybe we should you know, work from within in order for it to change with us it's, it's always a reflection of ourselves and I think if you manage to see the beauty in everything, then you also manage to 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 generate beauty from within yourself and become a more beautiful person. So it's it's really linked and and I, I'm I'm aiming for that. I'm really aiming to 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 see the the, the power in anything in the simplest things.
1: It's a very tall order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it
2: really doesn't work always. No. <laughs> well, it, it makes me it makes yeah. me
1: think. You know, here we are again in two thousand nine, and one of the biggest shows on Canadian television is So You Think You Can Dance mm-hmm. Canada. You know, yeah, and yeah, so I know, I know. that's. Quite a lot about yeah. pop dancing and popular dancing, and yeah. you know, so so maybe they should have listened to you a long, long time ago.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny because I mean, even is it big in, in Europe too. In Belgium yeah. too, yeah. they contacted me about it.
1: Even they, they said they?
2: like, yeah, and and I was really like uh, thinking and and should I should I not and to what be a would judge? Be the, Did they contact you? Yes, con- yes. Yet? But I have a problem with competitions in okay. general, okay. and so I would always always have a, an issue with having to say that one is better than somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is equal and. And we all have our personal value. And uh, there is, yeah, for me, that, that kind of comparison is very heavy. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be a judge.
1: But it's no. interesting that they contacted you. So, so whoever they yeah. are yeah. made the connection between your roots yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and who you are and who you are today. Not True. Is it a big is it a big thing in Belgium as well? So you yeah, it is. It is, it is. the mean, Belgian version, or is it the American version? I think there's a
2: Belgian version. Okay. There's in Europe. There's every country has its version. Okay. Uh, lots of people also look at the uh, the British version because uh, yeah, it's just. Uh,
1: I always think it's interesting when the when the audience, uh, our public here, who you know gets exposed to a lot of different kinds of dance companies, wants to engage in a conversation about it because it says to me, wow, they're seeing dance from so many different perspectives and appreciating you know as you mm-hmm. as you were talking about the pop culture aspect, but still the talent and the rigor and, you know, those dancers might be doing jazz dance, but they're working as hard hard. as the ballet dancers. Definitely, definitely. So Rien du Rien comes out and all of a sudden, you know, the international literati, so to speak, the international world of dance producers and festivals goes wild. Really, they do. People are talking (laughs) about you all over the place. What's that like? Can you remember what that feeling?
2: Well, I mean, I, I remember the other side of the coin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you my perspective. Yeah, right? yeah, oh, yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, you've got to see them.
2: I, I remember after the premiere thinking, this is the last piece I ever Really? Yes, yes. Why did you feel that? Because it, it was such a, a heavy uh, thing to, to handle for me and and I really felt like this is the last time I do this because you
1: felt you couldn't do another or because you felt you'd be shut down
2: uh, no I just felt no no it was more like it was more like a personal feeling I couldn't handle all it implied I was too sensitive on all levels you know like uh, the 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 comments, but also the the inside feelings of the performers and the the, the support they needed, but that I also needed as a, as, a, as performer, a performer, but sure. also then as a creator and, and the trust, you know, like it really at that time I was I needed so much the trust from outside and and basically you know the appreciation is great, but it it doesn't create trust. It's it's something else and. So I think in that time, what, what happened is that I needed to to find strength within to trust myself and to trust that this is a proposition and it is appreciated, wonderful, uh, and, and, and I should continue for myself and for others, but there should, there should be an inner trust that would be bigger than whatever people would say. And at that point, it wasn't like that. The smallest critique would make me feel like, okay, I need to stop because it's clear that I'm not... Uh, on the level of all the others. or, And the person that really got me through was Damien. I mean, he really told me all the time, from beginning to end, like, you have to do this. You have to keep doing this. You know, don't be afraid. Don't listen to anyone else. Just keep doing this. You're really on the right track. And I could feel that it was genuine and it was a real support. Um, He himself was as much of a director as a choreographer. So in many ways, he really pushed me at... uh, believing in myself more and in that generated other projects that then generated also appreciation and because the two are always linked there's always the people who like it and because there's people who like it there's people who don't like it and you you have to handle all of it and it's it's it always feels um uh, in the beginning it's 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 heavy but it it's heavy later as well because then projects are compared so they're like oh, I prefer that one and it always hurts because it's like what, if you have three children and someone <laughs> says I prefer your first one to the last one who came in because he's a bit young and, and inexperienced," then and you're like well of course I mean he's three years old yes. <laughs> and and so you, you you have that kind of relationship with all projects and um, I think uh, yeah it took me a while to and it's still taking me uh, you know reflection and energy to uh, to to handle all of that because it is uh, it's a weird thing being a, a maker and making stuff and having people address these things and um, Owning it as much as you own it, because it's it's a ritual you put on stage, and people make it their own, and, and you have to share, but at the same time, sometimes you feel like they're taking a the piece of your soul away from you, and then you have to protect yourself, and it's, 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 uh, it's going back and forth.
1: But obviously, you still are, this is what you're doing, this is mm-hmm. what you have to do, this is what your talent and your intelligence have led you to do, so somehow does one just, as you say, get better, do you just get better at handling it or are you just... Yeah, I think so. And I think it, it I saw this amazing uh,
2: uh, talk of, uh, it was uh, a writer, I don't, I forgot her name, Elizabeth something. She she wrote this amazing bestseller um, and uh, she, she did a whole talk around what, um, how to handle success. <laughs> and and it was wonderful because what she was talking about was basically how you could be inspired by something higher than yourself, that things would be around you and go through you and that you are a vehicle for all of these energies. And it's not you. It's it's like your muse kind of mm. going through you and, and giving you the ability to do these things. But basically by thinking like that, by thinking that it's information or it's... it's uh, or it's, it's uh, stuff that needs to be expressed. And it's using you, but it could use another choreographer or another dancer. It just needs someone to take up the responsibility to do it. But it's it's not all about you as in the ego you. And it, it helped me a lot uh, thinking about her because it, it kind of made me feel like, well, I have this responsibility to, to let things come through me, but I... But if things don't come through me, it just happens that, you know, I wasn't the one chosen for this information. And it it kind of gives me, I can always blame the muse (laughs) of not using me well enough or just being like, well, I just have a lousy, you know, uh, didn't have inspiration. Just understanding that it can be something that is outside of you, Uh that you are not um, constantly absolutely responsible for any you know, emotion given to other people, but that it's their responsibility to be open for it. Uh, their uh, connectiveness with you, connectedness that they, they, they kind of decide in a way to, to connect with you and, and you are open for that and that makes you be like a transmitter.
1: But the work, the works that you've created, that I've had the fortune to see, and I haven't seen all of them, unfortunately, not yet. But when I think about uh, rien de rien, fois uh, myth, these are works that are multi, multi-layered. There is so much going on, and partly, one can speak to you about what you wanted to do going into that work. But of course, people who are in the audience are also having their own, um, their own relationships with the characters, with the stories. Uh so I, I'm just curious, when you approach, when, when, when the muse starts, when the ideas start, when the next piece starts, how much of that is really sure for you what you're going to explore, the themes you want, and how much of it can maybe change or develop when you're well, actually in that process?
2: Well, I mean, I only have a point of departure usually. It's like I, I start from somewhere and I'm very open to see where it leads me. At the same time, I have a kind of personal philosophy that it it shifts, but there is a, a sense of uh, what I believe in, and that will uh, trigger the choices I make. And that will, you know, it's like a, a dogma movie of Lars von Trier, where he follows a certain system, a pattern in his own head. He, he decides this and this and this, and this stays as. The pattern, and for the rest, I'm open to whatever happens. And I, I think I'm quite s- similar to that. I, I I have a point of departure. I follow it through, but at the same time, the dancers they're the ones expressing uh, certain things. So I'm connecting to them, and very often they're, they they make millions of amazing propositions that that then I. Address and kind of lead into uh, you know uh, a narration or a surrealistic emotional voyage. I, I will always it's always a ping pong between all of them and me. So if it's very, very layered, it's usually when I'm working with very different people and they all have their tale to tell and I connect to all of them. And I think the audience could also connect to all of them. And that's why it's so layered when things get more centered is that people are pushing in the same direction, but I always let it happen organically. Um, I will not force them to have to believe in the same thing if they don't. And um, I will not force them to be individuals if they all want to do the same thing. So it's basically I go with the flow.
1: So the dancers... Uh, and, and the performers with whom you work feed into your vision and your personal philosophy?
2: Yes, because, I mean, I, I, that is my philosophy. <laughs> I think my philosophy is one of, I don't believe that much in individuals, but I believe in the relationship between people. So I believe that everything is a relationship and whatever happens is not just you or just me, it's what happens in between. And it's that, that is the thing. For me, that is existence. It's what's in between people. and And that would be... In a show, the same thing. I I would always look at how does it relate to the audience or how does it relate to me when I see them doing that. So that makes me uh, choose what I choose.
1: So when you come in and present the proposition, for example, of myth Mm -hmm. or the new work that you're creating next spring, Babel, how, how far from that initial proposition do you end up?
2: it 's interesting because very often the uh, it, it 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 can do make full circle like you start from a very clear idea and then you do this whole voyage to end up exactly where you you wanted to mm. begin and what you wanted to say from the beginning so very often the the philosophy stay uh, does survive the whole experience uh-huh. um, and and it just gets a form it gets a form like with myth, it was a very clear form. I mean, even though it was very complex, like you say, it was very layered. But in a way, the message was very simple. It was, uh, it was really this waiting room where these people were struggling with their shadows, and they were struggling on all the levels one could struggle. Um, you know, sometimes uh, uh, it was a psychological struggle, of but sometimes it was physical. Sometimes it became uh, about uh, you know, hating or loving yourself too much, and and all these very complex feelings that all of us know, but somehow none of us have the answer as to how to deal with it. I mean, we, do, we would like to have them. We would like to know what... Um, Am I supposed to like myself when I look in the mirror? Yes or no? Because if you do, then you're narcissistic, and if you don't, it means you you're you don't like yourself to uh, enough. And and so it it's like we are we grew up with certain value systems that sometimes confuse us more than give us any direction. And and I wanted to address that in myth. I wanted to say, well, you know, it's very complex. Uh, um, Same thing with the waiting. People have a tendency to wait until somebody comes and saves them or helps them. Or we always kind of want to blame someone else for whatever's not uh, working. And and I wanted to address that by saying, well, you know, these people nothing's happening because they're just waiting until their savior comes. But basically, maybe they should help themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they should take care of each other. And it's, it's so it's and and the moments they do, those are the moments that usually are very moving because suddenly you realize, oh my god, that person has is having trouble, but that character is coming to help him or her to repair. Like there was a lot of in myth, there was a lot of, uh, about uh, uh, how to repair something that felt unrepairable like how to uh, mend or or uh, la, la cicatrisation you know how to 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 to, to scar to, mm-hmm. to to come back together and and these were things that i thought were uh, important to 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 be a vehicle for mm-hmm.
0: That's all for this edition of NEC Dance Podcast. Join us next time for part two of the conversation with C.D. Larby Cherkawi. Please send us your comments and questions. You can email us at, at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NEC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca. There you will find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, this is Elari Evans saying goodbye from Canada's NAC Dance.